Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, the final regular season edition for this year of MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. My name is Joe Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by Jordan Angeli. Jordan, it was a wild decision day. Maybe the wildest decision day ever, question mark? I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about that. But before we get into the craziness that happened on the field on Sunday, how you doing? I'm good, Joe. Yeah, it was wild. It was the first time that there were, what was it, 11 teams competing for six spots. So it was wild because a lot of things could happen. I know in Crewland over here, we there was like four things that had to go a specific Mm. way. And, you know... I, I thought the the omen of our pregame set where we were just honestly there were ladybugs everywhere. I'm like, man, <laughs> this could be a good luck sign. This could actually work out. Um, the ladybugs didn't work, guys. So right. um, yeah. I guess they're really not that lucky after all. But uh, it was wild, and um, you sound a little raspy. Did you get in? Did you get involved in a lot of the games? Were you feeling heated and like it yes. meant a lot yesterday? Yes, this is definitely from me yelling at the TV when Julian Araujo <laughs> scored that own goal against Minnesota United, and not at all from me having a cold this past week. They're, they're, okay, they're not, okay, that's not at right. all what's happening nope. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it's you know I think a lot of us were either yelling in stadium or at our TVs, or did you put on the the viewing screen, the MLS Soccer guys? viewing screen I did uh, I, and I pulled it out and my my intention was to listen to them as I watched the games and I never actually revisited that tab it's nothing personal guys it just didn't happen I'm so bad I, I tweeted and they never are listening to us again <laughs> I'm so sorry I think Weeby at least says he listens I don't know if any of those other folks listen I'm sorry Weeby. I, I, I tweeted in response to Sam Stagecool who, who tweeted out like I, he tweeted something to the effect of I'm really horrible at multi-screening games and trying to pay attention to, to multiple games at a time I can't do it and maybe it's because of how you and I try to approach watching games, and it doesn't happen all the time, but we try to watch in detail. That's kind of the crux of this show. And it's really hard to do that for multiple games at the same time. It's hard to do that for one game. I still get distracted. So I had some challenges. I finally broke down and did multi-screen a little bit for the second window, for the Western Conference window, because there was just too much going on not yeah. to. You were warmed up by then, though. You're you right. I was up. in the flow. Mm-hmm. I was in mm-hmm. I was in the moment. Jordan, <laughs> let's talk about a couple of the, the big things that happened before we get into one listener question that you and I really like that will kind of transition us from regular season to postseason. We'll get to that question from Mike Saras later. But big moments. What stood out to you from what happened, the results, the performance? Hit me with whatever you got. One of the results that stood out was that DC three to one against Toronto. You know, they yeah. had to win. And this was a DC team who over the last week lost at home to the crew. So they were in a spot where they were able to to get um I don't know. That was just the the goal, like Steve Birnbaum scoring a goal, a guy that was in and out of the lineup. These are like the moments I think on decision day that just like get you a little bit more amped. Like I loved that for DC and didn't love it for the crew because that was the real um pin that set everything off and didn't allow them to get in. Um, But if we're talking about goals, the goal that was scored in the Orlando game. Oh, my word. Sebas Mendes. That goal was insane. Wow. And you watched that game pretty closely, right? I did. Yeah. First of all, to to hit on DC quickly, I'm really sad. I I try to stay unbiased and, and neutral when I watch these games. But seeing DC and Montreal outside the playoff field makes me sad. I think they deserve to be there. And and the turnarounds that those two teams have had under their new managers, Ronald Lasada and and Wilfred Nancy, we've talked about recently on the show. 
And there's a reason we talked about it because it's incredibly impressive what they've done. So uh, I, I feel for those teams and I feel for you, Jordan, and, and the crew, of course. Um, I'm, I'm bummed to not get to hear you call more games this year because that's, that's not cool. <laughs> you do a great job. But for <laughs> that you. Orlando-Montreal game, yeah, Montreal, I thought, was the better team for large stretches of this game. They're in this 3-4-3 under Wilfred Nancy that really does look like a 3-4-1-2 at times with Georgi Mihailovic just abandoning the left wing, and abandoning any pretenses of being a winger and just playing as a 10 and, and playing between Sebas Mendez and Junior Urso and, and splitting them and receiving the ball in that spot in front of the back line. He did that a lot. There were big chances for both teams, but but really big chances for Montreal and then the banger. It's a long throw-in from Emmanuel Moss into the box that was intended for DK. Never actually got to him. The ball was partially cleared outside the box. It follows to Sebas Mendez on the left side outside the box for Orlando, their left, who then shoots from, I don't know, 22, 23 yards out and scores an absolute worldie with that right foot. It's it's a phenomenal goal. And that goal broke the game open in a sense. I, I guess that's not a great way to phrase it because... It, it changed the game. That's probably a better way to say it because Orlando then could sit deeper and it forced Montreal to break them down because this was a win and you're in situation and Orlando was up. They sat deeper. They started wasting time real hard. DK then gets the second one in the 86th minute after Juan drives the ball forward and, and plays a simple ball to DK and it's done. And Montreal at that point, I, I think even really after the Mendez goal, they kind of know that they're done and Orlando end up in the sixth seed in the East and, and, Deserved yeah. based off of the second half, maybe not deserved based off of the season as a whole. Right. And I like some of those things that you said about Orlando, I think could be some things that we'll revisit later in this yeah. this show. Um, but such good detail of that game. And I think Montreal, like, gosh, they, they had done such a good job. And when you're talking about three coaches that I think you and I have both really loved, those are two of them, Wilfred Nancy and Ernan Lasada, but also just what Robin Fraser has done with Colorado has been something that is spectacular that you should have seen. Cause I, I used to work for Colorado and you yeah. should have seen like the, joy on my face when I opened up my MLS app and I saw that they managed to be first in the West. Like this team with one DP and the lowest, like a low budget and all of the things and everybody counts them out and this and that just, um, and then they go out there and they score five on LAFC. It's, it's incredible. It, it blows my mind that they were able to accomplish this. And and maybe we get caught up, and I'm guilty of this, and I don't, I'm not really apologetic about this. So we probably get caught up in the seeding relative to the actual performance, right? If Colorado had finished third, yeah. what they have accomplished the season still would be impressive, right? And same with Seattle and SKC. But but the thing that you mentioned there, Jordan, the, the way that they build this roster, it's it's absurd that they accomplished this feat, getting a first round bye, which is huge in the postseason. Yeah, it disrupts your rhythm, and there are some negative impacts there, but it quite literally gives you a break. It gives you a breather and you don't have to worry about being bounced in the first round as the number one overall seed in your conference. The fact that the Rapids accomplished that and the fact that Robin Frazier and this group accomplished that with the roster built in the way that it was, such a low emphasis on foreign players. Eunice Nomley as that single DP, he's a great player. He hasn't been all that impactful for no. Colorado. He's shown he played flashes. 11 games. Yeah, I mean, he's barely played this year. You're absolutely right, Jordan. 
it's it's a collective effort from this group and they're tactically versatile. They can possess and really spread the field and have Mark Anthony Kaye and, and someone on the opposite side, maybe Cole Bassett or Diego Rubio or Jonathan Lewis as the tucked in wingers in a 3-4-3, or they can absorb pressure and hit on the break through Diego Rubio or Jonathan Lewis or, or through right. bursting runs from the wingbacks or from Arias. the eights. Yeah, Barrios. Oh, I can't believe I forgot about Barrios. Yeah. That's a perfect player for that system and, and for that setup. It's... It's mind-boggling to me what the Rapids have done. But in a sense, they've been there all year long. It's just a matter yeah. of where they finished. Right. And Cole Bassett gets a another banger. Oh, yeah, And we've baby. talked about him. If this offseason, are we going to call for it again? Are we going to call for He's got to be Bassett? gone, right? He's got to <laughs> be gone. There's no way he sticks around. I just can't buy it. I can't buy it, Jordan. Uh, yeah, it, it was such a good result for the Rapids. Um, gosh, the other – I'm just trying to think of the things. Oh, the heartbreaker – with Crylock and oh, the gold and the drama and <laughs> wow. So that whole that whole window was insane. I enjoyed the West window, the later game window more mm-hmm. than the East. It was just more happening, I thought, and more yeah. drama. And the games were a little bit better and they meant more for some reason. I don't know exactly why. Right. But on one screen, I've got the Rapids and LAFC and the Rapids are really taking it to LAFC. And then LAFC kind of start to show some things and then the Rapids score another goal or two and it's done. So so that's happening and the Rapids are winning in the West. While that's happening, Seattle and Vancouver are playing to 1-1-1 draw and, and Vanny Sartini is starting to say some wild things in the post-match press conference. And then while that's happening, the Galaxy and Minnesota United are playing to this open 3-3 draw where DPs on both sides are shining and Fragapane and Hunu and, and Manuel Reynoso are combining and enforcing own goals. And then for the Galaxy, they're knifing through Minnesota United's usually somewhat sturdy defense. And then... Jordan, to finally get to the game that you're talking about, that you, mm-hmm. you kind of led us into there, you've got RSL in Sporting Kansas City, where yeah. there's a handball, a, a pretty clear handball, as far as my eyes can tell me, Yeah, on Justin Glad, that should have been a penalty on one end, and Sporting Kansas City are understandably upset about that. And then on the other end, just moments later, you've got a bicycle kick that ends up being an assist from Justin Mira, Justin Miram to Demir Krylak, who scores a winner and gets RSL into the playoffs just bonkers. It, it yeah. This stuff is insane. This is decision day, Jordan. Would you want it any other way, though? No. I of wouldn't. course not. I wouldn't want not. it any other way. And I, I think one of the things that I love most about this time of year is just, like, the pure emotion. When Krylak scored that goal and everybody just, like, the joy on everybody from them to Pablo Mastroni and his bench, you know, everybody that was on the sideline, the joy, but then also the the heartbreak and the defeat and the, you know, from if it was Chicharito or, you know, we had a lot of images of Lucas Celarion just so devastated that they can't help their team any longer. Like, this this is why you compete. This is why you love this game because it is filled with ups and downs and emotions and it draws you in. And Decision, 20, Decision Day 2021 definitely gave us some good moments. It lived up to the hype for mm-hmm. sure. Jordan, the second half of this show, unless you have anything else to add on Decision Day, the second half of this show, we wanted to be answering this question from Mike. We put out a call for listener questions and we both really liked this one. She says... It wouldn't have to be long and detailed, but for each playoff team, so for all 14 playoff teams, what would be their potential downfall in the postseason? So we both thought about this question a little bit, and we're going to go back and forth here on on the latter stages of this episode. But let's go through team by team. Let's start at the top of the East and talk about 
what might end these teams? Not that we're wishing this on anyone, of right. course, but just as a hypothetical, you know, helping people learn more about these teams, maybe look out for certain things and helping us, you know, continue to learn and evolve in, in, in our understandings of them as well. Yeah. Let's start with the Revs, Jordan. Okay. Do you have a thought on what might be the undoing for this team? Yeah, I just think, and this is a simple thing to say because it's gone well for them all season long, but if their DPs aren't clicking, like, it's going to be difficult for the revs to produce because if yeah. you look at their, their numbers besides uh, Bo Buxa and Carlos heel, if you take all their goals and assists away, Buchanan has eight goals and he's the next leading scorer. and every, but they've gotten a lot of production. There's 11 other players, including Buchanan who've scored besides those three DPs. So it's, they've got a lot of production from a lot of different places, but I think that they rely so heavily on their DPs that if they don't click in a specific game in a specific moment, we saw it, you know, um, it's been seen in, in this season. And I know the Revs lost over the weekend um, at home, which I think was a big shocker to everybody. But if those three players aren't clicking, I, it's going to be challenging for them. I'll add in my thoughts quickly. I, I agree with you, Jordan. There's obviously risk there. And that applies to a lot of different teams. For me, it's maybe the Revs' inability to control games defensively. They're not a bad defensive team, but relative to their attacking production, it's not on the same level. They're, to be very clear, they're good at, at most things in soccer, right? There's not a lot of chinks in their armor. Um, I will say they don't they don't always set up their defensive shape, especially quickly. They can be beaten in transition. There are weak points in, you know, in their defensive shape as well. They allow a lot of passes that break the back line, that break their own back line. So those are all things that I'm watching for from the Revs, and I think those could be some sticking points for them. Moving to number two in the East to keep this thing moving, the Union. For me, this one is is fairly clear, uh, and I know there's a, a couple of answers that could work here, but it's about their their attack. There's talented players there, and we talked about Casper Shabilko and his movement, and, and Jamiro Montero is lovely to watch, right? They can have some line-splitting balls from deeper in midfield, but this team has not created a lot of chances this year. They're towards the bottom at MLS in terms of XG per 90. They, they're very good defensively, one of the best teams in all of Major League Soccer defensively, but when they have the ball, you can't really count on them to manufacture chances, and that could mm-hmm. be a problem. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that maybe has to do with, well, those midfielders, it those two up front have the ability to get the ball in good, dangerous areas. But a lot of the times the way that they attack, I feel like it's a late runner into the box. So can those midfielders in that, that diamond or I'm thinking Leon flock, like he, he's in good positions, but he's not that player to score. So can Bedoya and flock and these players in the midfield for Philadelphia be that finishing touch on some of these balls or can those players that are attacking and, whether it is Shabilko, he likes to drift wide. If you can keep him centrally, I think that's where it's really successful. So creating attacks where he doesn't have to drift so wide could be beneficial to them. Okay, let's move on to Nashville. Jordan, what do you see as a potential weakness for Gary Smith's team? Oh gosh, I the, my first note is I think I think Nashville might be one of the most complete teams that mm. is in the playoff hunt and I think from what we saw this this year um they're a real enigma because they can play at home and they can score four or five goals <laughs> or they can struggle to you know not tie a game and um if I was Gary Smith's team maybe tying is going to be what's difficult <laughs> for them because they better work on penalty kicks 
And that might be the make or break for them. Does Joe Willis come up big or does their team put away their penalty kicks? So I'm going all the way to PKs on this one. That's a good one, Jordan. I like that a lot. My my answer, and this, okay, I'm kind of cheating here, guys, because I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit. I'm currently writing a piece that hopefully will be up on MLSsoccer.com either the next day or the day you're listening to this, who knows, about the strengths and weaknesses of these different playoff teams. So I have it partially written. So my answers for these first few I feel really good about. Yeah. Later on, I'm not going to be so confident. But for the top of the East, I feel good. Um, my thought here is production outside of Hani Mukhtar, right? He's been, and he Mukhtar is one of the front runners for MVP this year. He's one of the only folks in the top 20 for XG and expected assists in Major League Soccer, according to spec, uh, Second Spectrum. That That's a, almost a, a direct quote from my column. But outside of him and, and some scoring, and, and I, sh- I should say really a chance creation from Ender Leal, and some goals from CJ Sapong, outside of those three guys, you don't have many other players who are contributing in production. And I think that could end up being a problem for a Nashville team that just generally doesn't create all that many chances. So that's that's my read on Nashville and what could end up being a problem for them. The next one for me, Jordan, is is tricky. It's NYCFC. I I think this is a phenomenal team. The, the numbers for them are so good. And we've talked about this before. And we kind of got burned with how highly we were talking about NYCFC. They dipped in form after that. They started losing games to the Red Bulls. And they, they dropped a little bit in terms of their ability to compete for the second seed in the Eastern Conference. As far as negatives go, you could look at some of the injuries in their squad. Right now, at least they played Decision Day without either of their starting fullbacks. Anton Tinnerholm is, is done done. And uh, they're missing Thor on that left side. Uh, he, he was on the bench for that game. So there's some injuries there. There's there's some rotation happening. Those things could be a problem. The only other thing I could pick out is maybe some inability and in, in some challenges winning the ball defensively after they press when they're back in a deeper shape, which is not a place where they like to be. That could be a spot where you beat NYCFC. But Jordan, I I don't know really what would be a downside for this team. Yeah, I, I think... It's hard to find this, especially when they're playing at home. They get a home playoff game, which I think is big for this city squad, especially the confidence that they play with at home and their knowledge of that stadium. It's hard for me to find what it could be, but it's been Castellanos, right? He has been the player for them this year and in years past. It is Maxi Morales and his ability to pick apart a team. But this year it was... We've talked about Tati Castellanos for a couple of years now and how his movement off the ball really makes him such a special front runner. And I think the biggest thing is if they can't get him into the game or if he gets taken out of the game, if the the defensive the team defends him well enough that he's not able to connect and play in between the lines like he likes to, I think that could set him off. And if he can't recover from that, then I think it's going to be hard for City to get a victory. That's NYCFC. Atlanta United, I'll take this one first and then turn it to you, Jordan. I I watched a good chunk of their game against Cincinnati, and I think it's applicable for a lot of the other games that they've played, both under Gabriel Heinze and then Rob Valentino, and now uh, Gonzalo Pineda. This team struggles in the final third and they they struggle with possession and moving their passes into high value areas and actually creating something from their possession. They're one of the worst teams in MLS in terms of expected goals per 90, which means they don't really create a lot of quality shooting opportunities for their attacking players or for anyone, darn it. So I think that could be a real issue for this team. And and to be honest, they don't have much confidence in their ability to go out there and beat other good teams, which is just something they haven't done a lot this year. 
that's funny. My thing that I had was playoff mentality, which is what you're just saying. Like if you don't have confidence that you can go beat a team, how are you going to have that mentality in the playoffs where it's 90 minutes of do or die? And I, I think, you know, this team had it, right? And it was built into this culture. So we thought of Atlanta and a lot of those players are gone. I, you know, Guzan's here. Joseph Martinez is still here. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else still left. Not a lot of originals. Yeah. Not a lot of originals. And I just think if you don't have that playoff mentality, then are you going to rely too much on Joseph, who has had a good year for what it was? But, um, you know, it's hard to have all that pressure on you when you're a front runner. Orlando City, sixth in the Eastern Conference. Jordan, what you got? I think you you mentioned it a little bit earlier, Joe, is the ability for teams to play in between their sixes mm. in that four, two, three, one. I, I think if you're playing against Orlando City and you can overload those spaces, if maybe you tuck your wingers in and you push on a pull off your center forward from the top line and you, you get the sixes moving and moving laterally, you can really get in between their lines and play through them. I wouldn't say easily, but you can find the lanes. And I think part of that is has to do with the defensive work of the wingers, especially Nani. If Nani doesn't have to come back and defend, then it's automatically going to shift the central players and create gaps centrally. So I do think that um, this is a team that if you play through their, their central gaps, you can open them up a little bit. Yeah, I, I love that, Jordan. That's a really good point. And I appreciate you looking at the defensive side. Mine, I guess, goes back to the goal scoring. I don't have faith in Daryl DK to score consistently. I don't really have faith in Nani scoring consistently at this point. It's it's hard for me to imagine where the goals are coming from for this team. They could absolutely be in this thing, right? They have so much talent. The midfield group, I, I love this midfield trio of Mendez and Urso and, and Mauricio Pereira. I think they're all phenomenal players, but there's disconnects right now between them and the front line and just between how they create chances in general. So that's one thing I'm going to be looking out for from them. And I, I have similar concerns about the Red Bulls, to be honest, yeah. Jordan. Seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, just sneaking in on decision day and, and good for them with the, the run of form they had to close out the season. Super direct, super vertical, super aggressive with their pressure, which has worked wonders for them to end this season. There's every chance that that continues and that they beat the Union. I'm not saying this is likely or, or what I think will happen necessarily. I don't know. But they could beat the Union in round one and just cause wreak, wreak havoc for the rest of the Eastern Conference. But yeah. I, I don't know if they're able to transition their pressure into regular goal scoring chances. And, and maybe they can, maybe they can't. I, I'd probably bet that they can, but uh, I could see that being a problem. Yeah. And I, on the the opposite side of things, like I, I think the way that you can't play against the Red Bulls, I, it's Philadelphia Red Bulls, right? That's the, the matchup. Yeah. Yep. And the thing that you can't get caught up in is their willingness to like dump and run. Right. And then you counteract that with a long ball and run and press. Like it just gets back into this like ping pong game. So you can't get pulled into that with the Red Bulls. But I think that if you as a team, can play through their press in a way, if you're confident in playing the right times through their press, they can be exposed because they go so hard and they've been good at it, especially as of late, they've really gotten back to that Red Bull way, playing really good, high pressing soccer. But if you find a little gap where you can switch the point quickly, there is a, the ability to break them down. And it's a back line who, yeah, I think Sean Nealis has had a great season, but the back line all in all has 
has some question marks. Let's flip over to the Western Conference, Jordan. We did one through seven in the East. Let's do the same in the West. The Colorado Rapids, we heaped praise on them earlier today. And I could legitimately see them being in MLS Cup um, with with the depth that they have and the ability to play in a few different ways. Uh, Maybe this is a cliche. I do have some slight concerns about come playoff time, who's Mm -hmm. going to be delivering the goods, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's not really based on anything in particular, but it can only be a good thing to have someone who can really dig in and, and produce for you. Similar to my concerns with Nashville, even Nashville have more folks that I think are eligible in that category relative to the Rapids. So that is a slight concern for me. Not a huge concern, but a slight concern. And mine goes with production as well, because I feel like Barrios has been like their um, release valve. And, and he that's how, who he is, right? As a player, yeah. Barrios is that release player. And I think if you can mark him out of a game or just shift your defensive shape differently to to recognize, all right, whatever side he's on, maybe we have to leave an extra player back defensively. Um, and you take away that quick counter and that quick transition moment. Are the Rapids good enough to sustain defensive defensive block long enough and not have that outlet? Um, I think that's a question. Okay. Let's step forward down the table, I should say, to the Seattle Sounders in second, just one point behind the Rapids. Jordan, any any thoughts on what could be the, the Sounders' downfall this postseason? Well, for the Sounders right now, it has not been a good end to the season for them. Like They were sitting pretty at the top of the table for most of the, the year, and to slip down out of that spot, I think for them, I don't know if it if it is a confidence thing right right does that I don't think it rattles them right this is what their 13th year in postseason yeah um I think for the Sounders if they can't get Jao Paulo being who Jao Paulo is right if if the opposing team comes in and has a good defensive scheme where he is not pinging passes and the uh, giving him the ability to cover ground and get into the tackles that kind of ignites this this squad that could be a difficult it's difficult for Seattle to create other things without what he's so good at and how he's been really the heartbeat of this team. Jordan, you just had to do some heavy lifting there because coming up with a weakness for the Sounders team is really hard, right? I mean, fitness is about the, the, the biggest thing I can think of and maybe some some tactical things that come up if they push their wingbacks too high or if they can't access Jao Paulo like, like you're mentioning there, his importance. But man, it's hard to pinpoint something specific, right? Yeah. I, I could also see the Sounders team in MLS Cup quite easily. And at this point, with what they've done recently, that's no surprise, right? They finished not just in the playoffs 13 years in a row, but in the top four the last 13 years. It is insane what they accomplished, and it's no surprise that they are where they are. SKC, I'll take this one, Jordan. I have concerns about two things, and they're connected. The overarching thing is they're defending in general. They're they're a good pressing team. They press a lot. They win the ball high up the field a lot. But when that's bypassed, they they do give up chances. They're in the bottom half of the league in terms of expected goals allowed, which means that they're conceding quality shooting opportunities. And that's not a huge surprise when you look at what happens when they lose the ball or what happens when their press is bypassed. They lack athleticism, at least in, in parts of the field at the six specifically, I think is an area where whether it can be vulnerable defensively, whether that's Ilya or, or Walter in that spot. And then Fantas is not the most fleet of foot guy either. And depending on who he's next to at center back, there can be some challenges there. So I could see teams breaking through and causing SKC some problems if they can bypass that initial press. 
Do you feel like, and this is I'm throwing it back at you for just a second. Do you feel like it's more when they're in like a mid block? Because you you were saying they do, they're a good high pressing team when they can engage in high press. They're they're pretty good at that. Do you feel like it's more of a mid block for them or when they're in a lower block deeper in their own half? Well, I, I think it can happen in all sorts of different moments, right? I, I think we do see it a lot, like you mentioned with the Red Bulls, if the right team approaches them and has the ability to play through that pressure, they can be exposed. And it can also happen if, if you know, there's a player not in the right spot in their defensive shape in the mid block, right? If a winger is too high or if, if there's not pressure enough on enough pressure on the ball. So it can happen in a lot of places, but I do think they can be vulnerable in the middle of, yeah. of their defensive I think- shape. I think the the six too is something that I think about with SKC is just team's ability to overload that central spot for them with just that lone six that if they can get the ball in those spaces and pull an extra player, maybe, maybe it's just pulling the six a little bit wider, or maybe it is pulling a center back out of this, out of the, their central position that then it's easier to spring chances either with a quick combination or finding the channel with an overload that has been created through quick possession forward. So um, that's a good shout on that area. Moving to fourth in the Western Conference table, the Portland Timbers. Jordan, I'm just not sold on this Portland team. I am sold on Sebastian Blanco, uh, who has been really, really good since coming back from injury. And, and, you know, credit to him for the work that he's done. He's producing like crazy for them. But defensively, this team is leaky. Um, and they're vulnerable, and I think there's issues there. They don't have super-defined tactics under Gio Savarese. They typically have a defined shape, but how they approach games really does change, and I don't have a lot of confidence in this team. I, I guess I have confidence in Blanco, and that is kind of it for this team right now. Right. So well, it's it's more about what isn't there than, than what is there. Yeah, and that's mine, is what if Blanco isn't on his A game? You know, that's, that's, I'm not saying that that's a high probability, but those are the things that happens where it's, if you look at this Portland team and you're planning for them, well, like all attention goes to Blanco. And if you can shut him down, where is, where is the chance creation going to come from? And I think that's the question that if you're asking, how is Portland going to, what's maybe their downfall? Well, they're too reliant on maybe just one singular player in attack. For Minnesota in fifth, I I, I, I don't know why, but I have a good feeling about this team. Uh, they have some decent-looking underlying numbers, but but more than that, for me, it's about their big three, or what in my mind has kind of become their big three. It's Reynoso, who is just really the big one. But then it's Franco Fragapane and Adrian Hunu on the left wing and, and striker spots, uh, respectively. I think those three players combined with some of the pieces around them could could mean good things for Minnesota. The, the one thing I'll say is I have concerns about Will Trap. Some of the same things that we mentioned with SKC and their vulnerability in, in the middle, I, I, I think might apply to this this group under Adrian Heath. If Will Trap is starting games as one of the sixes in a 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to call that spot, that could mean trouble. He just doesn't have the athleticism to track with plays. And, and if Minnesota United's in a game that's stretched, yeah, they're really dangerous on the break, but I have concerns about their ability to contain other teams on the break. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, And I would echo that. And who knew we would have been here after uh, the way they started <laughs> off this season. Oh, Jordan, that was, man, they were bad. So at good. The it was bad. Of the year. So bad. It was good. They were, they were, it's been, it's been rough, but the talent, and yes. the general mediocrity of the Western Conference outside the top three really did do Minnesota some solids here, Jordan. Yeah, they they did well. And I think the 
the thing with Minnesota is, are they going to be able to break through that barrier and be like, all right, yeah, we're like you're saying the underlying numbers are all there. But are we good? Are we going to prove that we're good? Are we going to win some games in in the playoffs to kind of stamp our name into this and say, hey, we can do this? Because I think a lot of people have counted them in for a while and then they've done some Minnesota things. And I think this is a good (laughs) opportunity for them to say, we can do this. But it's the mentality, I think. And and a lot of that has to do with – and I know you mentioned trap, but when I'm thinking about this team, it's Boxel. Like he is, he gives that mentality to this team. Can he lead them with that, that aggression knowing, okay, we can do this. And if that mentality isn't there, I, I think that this is going to be a tough one for Minnesota. For Vancouver in sixth in the Western conference, uh, incredible, incredible storylines. Uh, you know, interim manager right? absolutely saucing up the mic in post game press conferences. I didn't hear it. What did he say? So he said very, uh, very assuredly that they were going to beat SKC and he had some other comp- uh, comments. I believe there was some champagne involved and just, uh, apparently had a pretty spicy and lively post game press conference and has had others of those and uh, wow. other clips in the locker room that have just been elite. Did you level hear content. Will, Will Farrell talking about how he looked like uh, Mr. Bean? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that was so good. Oh, the Whitecaps have just been the gift that keeps on giving. They have. Even Will Farrell they really have. That, Thank you, right? Whitecaps. Um, okay, nice things aside, I am concerned about this team. They're facing off against Sporting Kansas City. I don't think they're going to win that game. I'd, I'd, I'd love to be wrong just for the entertainment value. Uh, if I complained about Nashville sort of not having production outside of Hani Mukhtar, uh, I'm concerned about Vancouver's production outside of Ryan Gold and Brian White. Those two players have been good for them this year. But I don't know that they're enough to carry this Whitecaps team. They're almost always at a talent deficit. They have building blocks now, which is incredibly exciting for them. And the season has been a success. But there's a lot left for me that still needs to happen uh, before I really feel sold about this team winning a playoff game. Yeah, I, I, that was I was going with Brian White. If if he's not on and hot and um, doing the streaky things that he's done this year, then can you manage a game at? Kansas City I don't know I, so I think that was my that was my one thing like well who else are you gonna go to he's <laughs> not producing okay Jordan we have arrived at our 14th and final team Ooh. Real Salt Lake I'm turning it to you uh I don't know this another one that is hard for me to feel entirely one. optimistic about but you you take it take it and run I think for RSL gosh this is a hard one it's hard to be optimistic I like that you said that, but also at the same time, like this team has a like a, a a heart about them and a real you know Pablo type yep determination. Um, they're still playing in a three back, aren't they? They're yeah, I mean they played a lot in that shape. They they've gone back and forth. I believe I didn't watch much of that SKC game. I believe they were back in a back four. Yeah, for that. I just think in, in that three back there is a pocket like when they they slide back into a, a back five if they choose to implement this that if they don't pick up the pocket and and stop plays coming in like not the the channel but that um, half space. Yeah that teams can pick them apart in those areas. And so I think that if they defend that area well and they're in that three or that five back, then they'll be they'll be all right. But if they if they can't defend that area, I think team they, they'll get picked apart. Yeah, I am right there with you, Jordan. One thing for me is I, I think under Mastroni, they become more 
inclined to possess the ball, which has made them more fun to watch because I think we like teams that want to keep the ball, but also leaves them vulnerable in moments and, and they can be countered against. And so I'm curious to see how that first round matchup plays out against Seattle to see who who ends up dominating the ball and, and who ends up being a bit more defensive. I think if RSL are in possession more than Seattle, they're going to struggle to defend against Seattle on the break. So that's that's one thing for me. Jordan, we've gone through all 14. We answered uh, a really fun list of questions. Thank you again for sending yeah. that in, Mike. We, we really appreciate it. And we talked Decision Day. I'm I'm just about MLSed out. My vocal cords have, have almost had enough. Jordan, do you have anything else to add before uh, before we take a break? No, we've get we got it. We have a couple of um, weeks off before MLS action again. Not even two weeks, but um, <laughs> you can rest your vocal cords accordingly, Joe. And that That's was right. fun. That's right. Listeners, I pledge to have my voice back to normal by the next time you hear me. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me to talk about all the MLS action from Decision Day and to look ahead to the playoffs. Listeners, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.